Welcome back to Every Word Matters with Reed Mulpey and Chad Dunham. We have some things to talk about today. Reed has no idea what I'm going to start us off with. Nope. I had a conversation with someone the other day, and they said the word usual, but they said it like we normally do, right? Oh, I usually don't. Usually don't. What's your thought on the word usual? I know this is going to come out of left field, but I started thinking about it because every word matters. It really kind of hit me because is usual a box that we trap ourselves in? Is it just a definition? How do you, when you hear that, when you use the word usually, right? Now let's think about that. What is that to you, usually? It's kind of like a dequalifier because it gives us the excuse for not doing something regularly or it gives us an, a, a reason for why something happened. Like, well, he's usually not misbehaved or I can usually lift 250, but today I can't. Like, it's almost like a dequalifier word. It's it's an uncertainty word. It's the kind of word that doesn't show that you're actually 100% certain about something you're talking about. Hmm. What does that say about a mindset? Is that a word that you would you would recommend that someone keeps in rotation? What would be a what would be a word to replace the word usually? A more definitive word like certain. This is something I, I typically do. This is something I, I regularly do. But typically do. and usually, wouldn't that be or the same? Something I regularly do. This is something I like to do. This is some or even just eliminate it completely. Like instead of I usually lift two fifty, two fifty is a weight I'm capable of lifting. Or instead of saying he's usually not this poorly behaved, flip it to the other side. He's having a day. And then you're okay. not having to make excuse for the behavior. So I, that's how I do it. How would you flip it? Probably what you said, but better. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I think, you know, for me, it's having an understanding of the word. I'm bringing this up not because the word usually is a big word that stands out in our vocabulary or, you know, it does not jump off the page as a word that's good or bad. This is more of just an example of how you can take any word and, and it's about perspective, right? Let's talk about a perspective on a word. and Because to me, perspective is everything. And it's how, how we view the world, it's how we view ourselves, it's how we view what's important, good versus bad, it's everything. Yeah. And that's just an example, right? You know, usually is, isn't really a, a big word that we're gonna have that to settle on and work on and talk about, but it's more just an example of, hey, what's a perspective here? And perspective is really what I wanna talk about today. And I think that we, we all have that and we all see things a different way. You know, Jordan Peterson asked a great question. He said, would it be better to be a man or a person, I'm paraphrasing, incapable of doing bad? Or is it better to be a person that is capable of doing very bad things and chooses not to? And what's your thought on that? I would say that as emotional beings, we are all capable of doing things that we regret. So the ability to exercise self-control and restraint and apply social mores to a situation shows a level of evolution in a person, right? Now, the very bad things, yeah, I think I'd rather be somebody that's incapable of doing bad than somebody that's capable of doing very bad things and restraining. It's Again, it's perspective, right? It's what is a very, very bad thing. Exactly right. And then it comes down to, you know, the, the person that can't do anything bad, but does that mean the person isn't capable of doing anything good? Yeah, are they just vanilla? They're just a thing. They're just a, just a person, right? Just it's existing. just, a, they're just an exist, they're just something that exists at that point. If you're not capable of one, because if you can't have light without the dark. But what is the perspective? So let's look at bad versus evil. Sociopaths, we see those people. Psychopaths, we see those people as evil, right? You know, to them, they're not evil. They're just doing what they're doing. But to 99.9%, .9%, they're not great. So it's all about perspective. 
when you sit down and you're talking to people, and I know I have friends, different things, and work. it's true, I do, I've got like three. And when I'm talking to them, perspective has been a big conversation lately for me, trying to look at something in, in different ways. And for me, one of the things that I have the hardest time with is confirmation bias. It drives me crazy, and it's very largely political in Southern California. Mm-hmm. The confirmation bias, if you, have a com- if you have a conversation with somebody, they will, just, they will not hear what you say. They will not hear it. They cannot take your perspective. They cannot put themselves and see an opposing view because then it's, it's too difficult for them. It's too difficult for them to say, I have been thinking one way, but that way may not be correct. So me, I would rather be right than correct or correct than right, however you want to look at it. I love having my mind changed. I love that because I want I want truth to be the determining factor on my decision making. I want to know what's actually happening. My values, my morals, all of those things. So do you see that when you, in your work, when you're doing stuff, do you see a confirmation bias with people who really have no intention of making changes? Yes. And, and they, say, they say the true sign of intelligence is to be able to hold opposing concepts in your mind at the same time. And, and not even just intelligence, just I think it's a civility piece of the puzzle when we look at the United States today and some of the divisive stuff that's happening is we're only holding one, one side of the, the argument in our minds and we decide that's the truth and then we confirm it in everything we do and see. And so we get in the echo chamber where we only read the things that we know confirm our bias or our particular political view. And I saw a lot, especially in youth sports, where there were people who were like, all right, I'll listen to this guy, but this is how I was coached. This is how I've always coached and I've gotten results, so I don't care to hear from him. And my, my comment always is, at what cost? Like short-term results are one thing, but what about the long-term? One of the other problems with confirmation bias, one of the other pieces of the puzzle is that survivorship bias, where we go, oh, I'm a great coach because look how many kids have stayed on my team and done well. But what we don't look at is the ones who didn't survive. We don't look at the ones who failed or left our team. And so that's always my fear is when I'm working with people is if they've got this confirmation bias where they're like, well, I'm good because I get results. My comment is, okay, awesome. But how many kids did you miss out on the opportunity of actually enriching their lives or their sport? You've got some success stories. What about the ones where you didn't have success? Right. So you can't just live and breathe off of the successes. You know, it's like we talked about before, the failures, the failures are in and of themselves successes. You know, neither one of us are perfect. And I know that we, we sit here and we talk a lot about, you know, what should be, what could be, what is the best. But it's all things that we're working on, too. You know, we're not, we're not coming out, you know, swinging the big stick like we've got all the answers. But we do enjoy talking about this stuff. And I love hearing your perspective on things. You put a great, a great spin on things. And I love the way that you sum that up, right? I mean, it's going to come back to coaching with you, all right? So say you're talking to your son. Say you're talking to your son, right? Um, and say your son is 25. And it's not a coaching now. It's not a coaching situation, right? And again, we're all coaches of our own lives. So this is, this is great because with our self-talk, we have to coach ourselves through a lot of things. So the coaching really ties in well. This is one of the reasons that I love the book, one of the reasons I love the work. So tell me a little bit about how you would explain a confirmation bias versus perspective, Right. And, and the importance of, a, of a, having a full perspective over a confirmation bias. How would you explain that to a 25 year old? So perspective is 
think about it as stepping back and taking your view from multiple angles. So looking at all the cameras, let's review the replay of what just happened. And let's look at all the cameras. Confirmation bias is, is looking at just one camera and saying, we'll see in that camera right there, it proves I'm right. So that's the only camera that matters and not looking at things from the other side of the table. And, and, and you bring up a great example with my son. When my son was like four years old and going into pre-K, uh, pre-K four. So he was going into pre-kindergarten. They did this test as they were entering and it wasn't like an intelligence test or anything. It was, are they socially and, and mentally ready to be in some kind of kindergarten program? And the teacher brings us in. She says, here's, I had him draw a picture of his family for me. I said, can you draw a picture of your family for me? And here's his picture. And it was awful. <laughs> like I looked at it and I shouldn't have said it being a child development guy. And I was like, wow, he needs to work on his uh, minute skill sets there. He's his... probably still better than me. It's <laughs> probably I mean, still better was... than anything I draw. And, and, you know, it's like, okay, so we need to work a little bit on his really technical skills. <laughs> she says, no, no, you don't understand. I asked him to draw it for me and slid the paper across the table. And he left it exactly as it is and drew it upside down for me from my perspective. So that's my answer to my son if he says, well, dad, I, you know, why do you think I have confirmation bias or what is perspective? Perspective is you drew the picture for the other person. So you held in your mind what the other person was thinking and feeling at the same time. You gave their opinion, you gave their thought process an actual place to live in your brain. That's perspective. Confirmation bias is saying that unless it confirms what I already believe, Correct. I don't care yeah. to hear from you. Yeah, and I see that as, as kind of the anti, right? The confirmation bias is kind of the anti-perspective. It's yeah. your perspective, and that's yeah. all that's important. And the problem with that is it, it stunts your growth. It does not allow you to grow at all. You have invested time and effort into believing one way and one thing, and that's what you're going to believe in anything. You would rather believe the most outlandish nonsense that supports your view than a simple fact that proves it wrong. Going back to sports first and then moving away from sports, we see that in a lot of areas. When I was in sports, there was a particular sport that I was working with where we had a lot of abuse happening. We had a lot of issues happening with coaches and I deliver my TEDx and a particular organization reaches out. And says, what, was oh, the name, what was the name of TEDx that you did again? Echoes Beyond the Game, The Power right. of a Coach's Words. Yeah. Words. Right. And and that TEDx, I was trying to prove using neuro, neurological research from Mark Robert Waldman and a few others that that verbal abuse, chronic verbal abuse causes damage to the brain. Similar, no difference between the chronic physical abuse. So if you're being screamed at and abused verbally by a coach over the course of several years, there's a potential that you're actually doing some damage to these kids. Now, hold on a second. So would that count to yourself also? So if you're having verbal abuse in your inner dialogue. Yeah. That would be just as damaging as running into a wall 15 times as fast as you could. It's funny you say that. I was on a podcast the other day and, and the person we were talking about that and they brought that up and I said, you know, I never thought about that, but I'm my own worst abuser. Like there's an abuser within. We let, a, we let an abuser right in our front door. We unlocked the front door, said, come on and grab yourself a drink, grab a seat on the couch and just start abusing me. When we allow our inner dialogue to be negative. Yeah, that's scary. That's exactly right. It's I all. Mean, it is, right? And it is scary. For me, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask you this after, after this too, but it is hard to turn that off and I have to fight that with logic. You know, I, ha I really do. Okay. All right, Chad. So let's, let's look at this. Uh, are you really that bad at this? Like, are you really, you know, really, is this a thing? I mean, you know, like you said, comparison, right? Give the quote again. Comparison is the thief of joy. You know, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm doing that, but I'm comparing myself to myself, as we've talked about before. Okay, that's right, I'm not that great at this, but 
wow, look at the first time. So, you know, I'm not a young man anymore, but I've been working on handstands at the gym. And I started the first of the year and I could, you know, get up there and fall over and get up there and fall over. I refused to use a wall. I just wanted to do it. Right. And now I can walk on my hands. It's been four months. Am I a gymnast? No, not at all. But I'm proud of that effort. I'm, I, I'm excited by that because I compare it to myself. I didn't go on YouTube. I didn't learn from YouTube. I just said, I've seen people stand on their hands before. I'm going to do it. And then I did it. And I didn't, I didn't allow myself the comparison and I grew through that. Anyway, I cut you off. You were saying something amazing. Do you remember what it was? Uh, let's see. Oh, so I, this particular organization reached right. out to me and they wanted to engage with me because they wanted to be helped with their coaches. And so I went and I did a couple presentations over a couple of years and it ended up that the vast majority didn't want to hear the message that I was delivering. Now, mind you, I did my homework. The message I was delivering was based on science. It was based on research. There's quantifiable information behind it and anecdotal qualitative information behind it based on my career and other people's careers. But people didn't want to hear that they were doing wrong by the kids. That Simmelweis reaction. Like people thought they were doing good. Some people thought I'm doing good things. Why would you suddenly accuse me of being bad? And other people, it was like, this is the way it's always been done and I've produced results, why would I listen to this guy and be, as they called it, a snowflake or a softy? That's why, no offense, you're just soft as a coach. Well, my point is, that organization, they would make excuses, well, we, we got a full docket this year, or we don't invite speakers back every year. What I discovered was, that was an echo chamber. They wanted to have a big conference with 15,000 coaches or whatever at their conference, so they could pat each other on the back for all the good stuff they did and then affirm all of their beliefs. They didn't want anybody at their conference who had a different belief than them. We have that today. We have that today with the DNC and the RNC. We have conferences across the country from people, not just political, where they have differing beliefs from everybody else. And they only invite the people to their conferences or the people to their organizations that they know will speak the same exact truth as them. That's an echo chamber. And that is very dangerous. Ironically, those other people wouldn't come because they live in their own echo chamber. Right. They wouldn't, they wouldn't want to be there anyway. There's a, there are certain conferences that if I got invited to, I'd be like, mm, no thanks, I don't want to hear what you have to say because I want to stay in my echo chamber. And that's not, that's not fair to society as a whole for us to stay in our echo chambers. For me, when I'm having a conversation, I'm, I, I try to say, okay, I try to see it from their side first and then impress upon them my view, right? But again, it's all about perspective. And I think you have to give yourself, sometimes you have to give yourself permission to change your perspective. I think we get locked into well, this is just who I am. But people can change. If people couldn't change, there would be one political party. Yeah. It, it would just be absolutely ridiculous. And people do change. And changing your perspective, I think, is one of the first steps to just making amazing changes in your life overall. Allowing yourself, giving yourself permission to change your perspective. There's no reason to hold back from that. And I want to go back to what you were saying earlier. I think that the change of perspective starts internally. You have to give yourself, you have to have enough grace with yourself to Grace, say, that was the word I was going to throw that yeah, in there. Yeah. Right? That you have to, see great minds think alike. Oh, echo chamber right there. You have to have enough grace. <laughs> wow. You have to have enough grace with yourself to, to forgive yourself in your own voice and, and be willing to change your own internal perspective before you can ever think about seeing someone else's. Like you were saying, the nasty voice in your head. You've got to be able to step back and say, wait, wait, Reed, wait, Chad, is that really... You know, is that the truth or am I just being mean to myself? Right. And you see that in relationships, right? You've been married again for 60, 70 years and 
you have to step back and see their perspective and get their perspective, right? It doesn't make you weak for doing that. If anything, it makes you stronger. You have a better understanding. And I'm sure that, you know, some people might not want to do that because they're scared they might not like what they see. But isn't that more reason to do it? It is. People always, you know, you talk about relationships, long-term relationships, and usually the word compromise is thrown out there. And my wife and I talk about this all the time. It's not really compromise, is it? It's it's really working together to create a collaborative perspective. It's not, I'm not, my wife and I aren't compromising with each other. We're deciding that we want to hold the other person's perspective and see if there's value in it. Do I agree with 100% of everything my wife says or does? No, but the pieces that I do agree with, I'm now beginning to add to my own personal value system or my own personal practice, right? And it's the same thing with her. She's looking at me and saying, I don't agree with that. And I'm going to, I'm just going to continue to disagree with that. But I do like how he does this that way. I'm going to start doing that way. And all of a sudden, what you start to see is my wife and I really do become this really good team. Well, we all, we're all a collaboration. No one's coming, no one's coming up with anything new, really. At this point, everything's been done. Everything's been said. We're all a collaboration of experiences from people that we've met previously. I mean, we all are. There's no way you can get around it. They're the people like, you know, my significant others in the past, whatever. I, I've taken the best of them, you know, the very best. And and I've tried to include that in who I am. And, you know, I, I, my mom raised me as a codependent and I have I had a tremendous fight through that. So there is a fine line for me specifically to not cater to them, but to grow from them. And there are certain people out there that are listening that will understand exactly what that means. But it's important to me that I do understand them. So yes, we take on traits of the people that we love and the people that we care about because it's important for us to give back to them, right? To show them because it's not always about words. Every word matters, but so do the behaviors. Very much so. And going back to the words, those behaviors usually cause feelings in you or, or reactions in you or responses which become words. And so they still do drive sort of the brain processes, right? And we are, you are right, we are a rich tapestry of the good things that have happened to us in our relationships in the past and the traumas that we've carried with us. And the, the problem is, is balancing out those good things with the, the trauma that we carry forward and having hopefully the good things be the great equalizer in our lives. Couldn't agree more. I think that the, and just because you went to rich tapestry, from what I said, I'm going to one up you with the word amalgamation. Yeah, there we go. And uh, we are, and it's a beautiful thing, right? It is a beautiful thing that we're able to do that. So it's funny how we can be so biased in some ways, but inadvertently, subconsciously integrate pieces into our lives that mean things, right? The things that we mean, we stand, we stand for and we stand with, but also we have that influence. So it's funny how we can choose so adamantly not to be influenced in directions that might change us for the better, but subconsciously we're changed by the people around us in good and bad ways. Yeah. Yeah. I've always found that as a very interesting thing. So, so that's what I want to talk about today was just perspective. I wanted to start out kind of throwing you off a little bit, which didn't happen at all because you flew, you just, just flew right into it. It was beautiful. But, um, but I want to chat about that today because perspective has been a thing that's been on my mind for a while. Um, and it is such a big deal and it's so important and it drives who we are and you're going to use the word forged. So yes. I'll let you say forged. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah, our perspective forges our mindset. It forges that Spartan mindset. And it does. more importantly, 
it creates an intentionality in our lives about how we react to the, react or respond to the people and situations around us based on past experiences. And that's where every word matters. <laughs>